0: We could just see how God sees, we would do what Jesus says. It was a Monday morning, and it reminded me a lot like this time of year, because it was dark out, and uh, it was a fall morning, and my Midas, uh, my muffler needed to be replaced, so I was taking it to Midas Mufflers, and I parked the car down by El Camino and got in line. There was a lineup, and I could hear the person behind the counter, who was very short and curt and actually, frankly, rude. With the customers coming to get their mufflers replaced like me by the time i got up there uh, he was short with me as well and he just said next and i said i need my muffler replaced we had an appointment i gave him my credit card he swiped my credit card no eye contact no dignity coming my way and frankly no dignity going back to him because of that which i'm ashamed of and i got in my car and i whipped out my phone to write an email to the management of midas muffler to tell them, because uh, it grates against me. I, I value customer service, and I just couldn't believe someone's treating people this way. As I'm doing my email, uh, I got convicted. And I sense God asking, Did you see him? And I thought, No. And he said, I trust. I, honestly, God said, I want you to go back. I want you to tell him that Jesus loves him. <laughs> now, it's at this point that I actually have an argument with God. Letting him know that I know better than he does. And that person doesn't need to know Jesus loves him. And uh, God comes back and says, well, how else is that going to change? He going to change. So I went back and I waited in line. And he looked up and he recognized me and he said, what do you want? <laughs> to which I said, uh, I want to tell you something. Jesus loves you. He looked down. And he looked up, and we had our first human moment of the morning. Our eyes met, and there was a pregnant pause. And then uh, we had like an Obi-Wan Kenobi moment. He started confessing sin to me, not knowing at all who I was. I'm a hardened criminal, he said. I just got out of a very hard state penitentiary. It's the only place that would give a convicted felon a job. He said, you have no idea what I've done with my life, and there's no way Jesus could love me. To which I said, I think we need to have lunch. (laughs) That's how I felt. I was going, God, I can't believe this. When I see how you see and do what you say, who knows what you have in store for us who loves you. I almost missed the whole moment because I saw what I saw, not what God saw. And he agreed to having lunch, and that started the conversation. And he's since moved out of the area. Can you imagine what happened when I got behind his, I'll call him Jack, that's not his real name, but getting behind Jack's eyes and seeing life from Jack's vantage point? If we could just see what God sees, we would do what Jesus says. We're going to build off of that for the next two weeks, everybody. This week we're going to look at how God sees the poor and the marginalized, and next week, we'll look at a whole different aspect of what God sees in this series about rooted, being grounded in Christ, and asking the great questions of the faith. Anyone reading God's word or the narrative of, narrative of Scripture, you know God's word is uh, abundant in uh, the, the heart of God for the poor. You could build out the whole story arc of Scripture in these four words uh, creation, fall, redemption. Restoration. There's the whole Bible in four words. And in every aspect of the story arc of the scripture, the grand narrative, God cares for people in word and in deed. And he sees people as eternal souls in needing of new birth and new life in Christ. But he sees them as physical human beings who need real physical human needs. If I had more time and this would be a fascinating study to engage in, we could spend Hours looking at each aspect. I'll do it in a minute. In creation, before the fall, God created Adam and Eve as physical human beings in a physical world, and he said, fill the earth and subdue it. That word subdue literally means join me in stewarding creation. Be about the physical shalom of all of creation. That's before the fall, before sin entered the world. Then sin enters the world, and suddenly with it, uh, havoc to physical creation we age we have disease community and culture breaks down we treat each other in ways god never designed for community to exist so god had to give in the fall he had to give his people israel laws on how to deal with each other and throughout the laws deuteronomy leviticus numbers throughout the laws god said care for the poor i'll give you two instances Do you know if you were a farmer In God's economy, you can only harvest 90% of your crop. In Deuteronomy, it says, leave 10% for the poor. Don't harvest it and give it to them. Dignify them, by allowing them to work for it themselves. But leave 10% of your crop available to them. Later on in the Bible, in the fall, this book called Isaiah, the people of God were worshiping God and fasting, withholding food, very pious in their own spiritual development, and God comes to them and says, you know what? This isn't the kind of fast that I'm asking you to do. Isaiah chapter 58. God said, you're fasting for me, but you're you're neglecting the poor. You're neglecting the needy. Just do away with it. The fast I want is that you care for people on the margins. Because people aren't just spiritual, they're physical. And in redemption, Jesus came. He came in a human body. And what did he do on earth? He forgave sins and cared and prepared people for eternity. We'll look at that in a minute. But you know what else he did? He fed people. He healed people. He touched people. In Mark chapter 1, he looked in an outcast's eyes and said, I see you. He cared about the holistic aspect of human beings. And then in restoration, I don't know what your concept of heaven is like, but in the Bible, it's going to be a physical realm a new heaven and a new earth. We'll be physical, we'll eat, we'll touch, we'll commune. Throughout the Bible, you can't deny that followers of God and now followers of Jesus, we're called to minister in word and in deed. We're called to serve people's, not only their spiritual needs and share the gospel with them, the good news, we're called to serve people's physical needs, material needs, relationship needs, emotional needs, economic needs as well. Because God sees people holistically. And you know what, church? Everyone look right here. So do you. I love bragging on you. You do such a great job of meeting the real needs of people. It's amazing what this church does. But this also brings attention to life. Because needs are all around in this sin-cursed world. Most, uh, well, a couple Fridays a month, I'm in Oakland uh, doing, taking care of some of my dad's stuff. Uh, my dad had a company in Oakland and I'm just taking care of some stuff for him. I was in Jack London Square on Friday, and I just stopped, and knowing the sermon was coming, I was just saying, God, how do you see Jack London Square? And I saw a Section 8 housing unit and people coming out of it, flooding out of it with great needs. I saw on every corner around that West Oakland industrial area people with cardboard signs. I actually walked into a, a, a shanty, of street people. They're makeshift homes, multiple ones. And just walk, I had to pull over and get some directions, walked right through it. Huge needs. I watched a man have a a conversation, an argument with who knows who, some imaginary person for like a half hour. I took care of an appointment, I came back, he was still having it on the street. This can create a tension. How can we meet all these needs? I'm just one person. Uh, I'll give you a secret. God doesn't want you to meet all those needs. The Holy Spirit will prompt you when to meet a need. Not every need out there has your name on it. But I know you. I know your heart. We're obedient people who respond to God when the need arises. So, how does God see all this? All this is a prelude to Matthew chapter 25. Open your Bibles, Matthew chapter 25. Uh, It's an amazing passage that causes some confusion. I hope to clear that up for us all today. And uh, in it, Jesus is painting a picture of that day, that day. Uh, And he's showing a day that we all will face him. And here's the amazing thing. Are you tracking with me? There's a day we'll all face God and give an account for our lives. God doesn't want you, I mean this with all my heart, God does not want you to be unprepared for that day, nor does he want you to be scared on that day. Jesus came to prepare us for that day. Around here, the pastors care about two days. We care about today, and we care about that day. Uh, Because what we do today with Christ matters on that day. There's so many people on that day, they're going to look back on today and wish they lived today differently. We don't want that for any of you, for any of me. I don't want that for me. So Jesus is painting a picture on that day And Jesus is uh, using this metaphor of a king on a throne. And then he uses a shepherd metaphor. And people's eternities divide around the king. Sheep and goats are the shepherd metaphor. And people either go into eternity without God or eternity with God. And he talks about the difference between the two is what they did in meeting real, tangible needs. And this has caused a lot of confusion in a bunch of different churches going, Oh, see, your works matter in eternity. In other words, if your good works outweigh your bad works, you'll go to heaven. There are churches that teach us. Churches in Revit City. Is that what this is teaching? Well, you have to read it in context. Let me go back a week to last week. I don't know about you, but I loved what I saw last week. Eleven people up here. Works. So the reality is, church, listen to me closely. Yes, works matter for your eternal destiny. But it's not your works. It's the work of Christ on the cross that matters. Our salvation is based on works, the work of Jesus, not our work. But works matter, and this is what comes out in Matthew 25, so no one can boast. And it says, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we are not saved by works, but we're saved for works. You get that? And the evidence that Christ is in you is how you treat people around you. Let that sit. The evidence that Christ is in you will show in how you treat others around you. And that's what Jesus brings out in Matthew 25. Okay? So given this context, we better understand this. And we have insight into this day. That we'll all face. You know what I love about this passage? It's almost as if Jesus has given us the answers to the final exam in advance. Have you ever gone to a final exam not prepared? Oh, wow. Okay. My daughter didn't raise her hand. Oh, are you kidding me? Wow. I actually had a nightmare. Can I just tell you on my sabbatical this summer that uh, I came to church thinking I was going to sit where you were and someone said, oh, you're giving the sermon. I was completely unprepared. It was brutal jesus doesn't want that for you it's like he's giving us the answers to the final exam and in this passage god is welcoming his children to heaven and he explains what it was in their lives that gives evidence of their faith in christ which begs the question for me what is it in my life apart from my words that gives evidence of my faith in christ and look what he says this is pretty surprising he said i was hungry these are the people who are going to heaven. And Jesus says, you did it. Congratulations. Enter into your rest. And in verse 35 and 36, says, I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothes. You clothed me. I was sick. You looked after me. I was in prison. You helped me. I don't know about you, but in my own mind, I think of that day and I go, God, when did I, Jesus, ever see you in prison? When did I ever see you without clothes? When did I ever see you thirsty? See, if we could just see how God sees, we would do what Jesus says. You do this so well, church. And I think if I could uh, update this passage and put it in, 21st century peninsula covenant church terms i believe with all my heart some of you are so prepared for that day and you're going to face jesus and you know what he's going to say to you enter into your rest this is the evidence that you had faith in me he's going to say i was a below level reader at fair oaks and you came and spent an hour a week reading to me and i'll say on that day wait a second that wasn't you that was your rally and Jesus is going to say, "Oh no, no, no! When He did it to Urelli, it's as if He did it to me. is the first grader I read to. I was in the VA, in the brain and spinal trauma unit, and you brought me a meal, and you cared for me, and you treated me with dignity. I was on the streets of Redwood City and Menlo Park, and four nights a week you showed up with a meal." And you led a worship service. And you knew my name. And you gave voice for me in a county where I have no voice. I was in poverty and shame as a family at Kennedy Middle School. And you threw a Christmas party for me. And you created a store so I could have Christmas for my own family. And you dignified me by actually giving me what I had hoped for not your throwaway clothes or your deserted clothes. I was all alone in this journey in life. Life had dealt me a bad hand, and you came to me disguised as a Stevens minister, and you hopped on the swing so I wouldn't swing alone through life. I was an orphan in the Congo and in Malawi, and you paid for an orphanage so I could have a roof over my head. And you paid that I could be fed. And you paid that I can go to school. And when you did it, when everyone else forgot, you did it unto me. See, around here we call this, I call this, Emmanuelism. Emmanuelism. It's when people who wouldn't read the scriptures come across followers of Christ who are the living word. And we flesh out the scriptures for them. And they sniff the aroma of Christ. And they see what the scriptures teach in your life. And you do this so well. You are so heroic in all this. It's amazing. Yesterday I, at uh, Roosevelt, uh, Victor did such an amazing job of setting that up. Roosevelt School is the closest grammar school to Redwood City, uh, to our church. And, um, and uh, gosh, I don't know the percentage, but too many are, uh, low, uh, are at below the poverty level. They have free and assisted lunches. That's how they determine who's in the poverty level. Well, Trish is a teacher, principal at Roosevelt. She's nothing short of heroic herself. She's one of the best leaders I've ever met. And under her leadership, uh, Roosevelt in the last 12 years has gone from program improvement, K through 5, and everyone deserting the school. Now they're K through 8, a distinguished school, and there's a waiting list. She's amazing. And PCC has come alongside Roosevelt for many years. She was introducing me to the new principal, um, Rosemary's her name. And at the start, and uh, Rosemary turned to me as Patricia introduced me and said some very nice things. Rosemary said, "I got to be honest with you, I'm a little skeptical of churches." She needed Emmanuelism, and I said, "I know, Rosemary. Actually, I'd be skeptical if I were you too, because there's been some bad things done in churches' names. I hope we can build your trust through the years." It didn't take years. It took a day. At the end of the day, her wall was just lowered a little bit because she saw that, the church being the church. See, good deeds really do create goodwill so we can share the good news. How does God see the poor and what role did it play in our life? I put a study on page two for you. In God's economy, we don't just serve the poor. Are you ready for this? This is crazy. But it's so good. We need the poor. We need the poor. Because of so many reasons I don't have time to go into, and that's on page two, I would really invite you to spend some time this week in that study, why we need to serve the poor. If we could see how God sees, we would do what Jesus says. Look at the passage now in another light, not from the first person, Pronouns, but from the second person pronouns in the Matthew 25 passage. Jesus says, I was hungry. Implied in this is this. And you didn't just pray for me, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. And you didn't just walk by and say, God bless you. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. And you didn't just say, Wow, hope you find somebody. You became that somebody and invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. By the way, you know what Roosevelt, that school that uh, that we did Beautiful Day, you know what they're doing? Trish was telling me they overordered on school uniforms. And so she says to me on the playground, hey, I know you guys do that street life ministry. We have a ton of sweatshirts. Can we give sweatshirts to the poor on the streets? I'm like, this is the best. You know, like you're joining us in that. I think of that when I... Read that. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to me. See, in God's economy, uh, these are relational words. You can't do this from afar. Following Jesus means rolling up your sleeves and getting involved in each other's lives. It's seeing a need and meeting it. How can we help those in need? When the Holy Spirit prompts you, engage. You don't have to do everything, but that shouldn't have stop you from doing the one thing you can do and it's the expression of Christ in you how do we know we're followers of Christ by how we treat each other starting in this church and you do this so well by the way you love and treat each other this is further built out all over scripture one more passage and then we'll land this plane first john chapter 3 verse 16 to 17 This is how we know what love is. That's a term that's pretty uh, important in our culture today and, frankly, demeaned and diminished in our culture today. Why don't we go to the authority of the Word of God and see what love really is? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Whenever you see in Scripture brothers and sisters, that just means fellow Christians. Okay. Now, that, to me, sounds grandiose. Lay down my life. Can you get a little more practical, please? And the Apostle John would say, sure, I would love to. Thank you for asking, Gary. If anyone has material possessions, and here's that word again, and sees a brother or sister, those in the church, in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Loving Jesus practically is expressed supernaturally by how we love each other. When you see how God sees, we'll do what Jesus says. So I want to challenge you this week, church. I want to challenge you to pray this prayer. God, how do you see my world? Not just my world. How do you see my coworkers? How do you see your closest neighbors, those in your home? Your roommates? Your spouse? Your children? parents who just dedicated your kids? The best thing you could do for these children is to have the supernatural vision to see them as God sees them. In these arms on this platform could have been the next generation's Mother Teresa. Her name's Tenaya. And I wonder if somehow if Paul and Helen who dedicated Tenaya to the Lord knew they were raising the next generation's Mother Teresa, if that would change your parenting in any way. If we could just see how God sees, we'd do what Jesus says. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for showing us that day. I thank you that you want no one in this sanctuary to be unprepared. That today, right now, people can place their faith in you and be prepared for that day and have a whole new start. Your word says if anyone is in Jesus Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come there's anyone while we're praying that needs new life in Christ, it doesn't matter what you've done. I would tell you what I told. Uh, his name was, I'll call him Jack. What I told Jack over lunch, the Midas muffler guy, you can give your life to Christ because he's a much better Savior than you are at sinning. There's no sin that would disqualify you from Jesus Christ. Love, his grace, his forgiveness. You can do that today and place your faith and say, Jesus, I want you as my Savior. I want you to do a new work in me and give me this supernatural vision and strength to live life the way you've created it to be lived. And God, for us, who are brothers and sisters in Christ, open our eyes this week to see how you see, break our heart with what breaks your heart. Thank you for your track record in this church, Lord. The stories could go on all day and all night long of the people I'm praying with in this sanctuary who are living out this passage. I'm so grateful to serve alongside them. We pray this in Christ's name. Everyone said? You've been listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church Podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.